Now, Rod is amazing, isn't he? <laughs> I'll just tell you a little funny story, if I may. I was, I'm conducting the Huddersfield Choral Society in the Brahms Requiem on Friday, and I was there last week for a piano rehearsal. So I did a bit of trying to get the, the Huddersfield Choral Society interested in our production of the War Requiem. They just sang it at the proms, and they loved the piece. And, of course, they, they know Roddy uh, very well. So I said, I meant... Sorry, I've got a, a funny thing here. <laughs> <coughs> I'll put... Yeah, so... Um, uh, so I said, uh, yeah, we've got Emma Bell, this wonderful soprano, and David Buckphillip, this fantastic tenor. And then I said, and, and Roddy Williams is the baritone. And all the ladies went, ooh... <laughs> Of course, if, 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 if the guys had done that when I said Emma Bell, we'd be in big trouble. So I reported this back to Roddy, and he said to me conspiratorially, yes, I seem to have an effect on the over-65s. <laughs> now, I would, I would venture to suggest, as an, an under-65-year-old man, that he has an effect on me too. Because singing like that is just so beautiful. And... He's gifted with that uh, wonderful instrument. What I did one of these last year with Sir John, and he similarly has the most incredible diction. So can I just... He, he gave a master class in diction, actually. Was anyone, any of you there? We did it in a hotel somewhere in town. And he, he started explaining how he approaches text. Do you mind... I mean, we don't want a master class, but I think, you know, you... you Diction is a very important thing, uh, and for ENO, you know, we come in for criticism for just about everything, and diction is included in that. But some singers, and I think Roddy's one of them, has found a way of that not ever being a problem, because I understood every word you just sang to us. Um, and thanks for including the gurney. I mean, that's... As I know, boss. I know, I know, I know. So g give us a little... Pricey of you know how you approach text. I think it's fair to say that I got this from being a classroom teacher. Uh, the first job I did when I was in my early twenties was as a classroom teacher in Tiffin Boys School in Kingston upon Thames, and there's similar numbers to this uh, uh, maybe in a uh, in a similar building to this, and. The experience of losing a class is one that I had many opportunities to savour <laughs> and one I will never forget. So, as you might imagine, the class arranged itself with the keen ones in the front row, the musicians, and then going backwards through the scientists and, 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 and through to people at the back who really don't want to be in school at all, let alone in my lesson. And I realise if I'm going to engage them, I have to talk to the back row in such a way that they can understand me and, and remain with me. And if I catch the back row, the people at the back, hopefully the people at the front will feel included too. So rather than it being... I can imagine what Sir John was saying about diction and the, the techniques someone employs to try and be intelligible. I think my thought is that it's from a desire to be understood more than anything. Um, and, and I've sung so many recitals in, in my life, and a great number of them is singing English. And again, I've had experience of, of looking around and seeing someone just go... <laughs> at which point I know I've lost them. 
and, I, and it's, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. So, so in all of that, I know a lot of the poetry that is set to music by the, the great British composers, a lot of that poetry can be quite chunky. Even that Wilfred Owen from The War Requiem is not obvious poetry. Um, and the composer, the, the best composers can illuminate difficult poetry. And then the practitioner, the singers, their job is simply to try and make it as approachable and intelligible in the moment, given that you're not reading it, you can't go backwards and forwards, you're hearing it in real time in one direction, to make it as intelligible as possible. Uh, and that just doesn't, doesn't just include diction, it also includes the, my face, my expression, everything, every tool that I have about me to, to help the audience through a difficult piece, I will use. Yeah. That's really a lovely way of putting it. But I mean, you you are a natural communicator in all in all ways, not just with your voice. It's interesting that you know the the little look in the eye there at the in the in the foggy foggy dew can you, communicates yeah, yeah. so much, doesn't it? Just <laughs> and Roddy, yeah. I mean, every artist needs to use all those tools at all times. It is. Yeah, yes, and it is strange uh, uh, that uh, the older one gets and the more one works with younger singers, particularly around the conservatoires and what have you, and schools and whatever, um, they all study so carefully how to sing with their singing teachers, and then rightly so, and that's great. Uh, they get much less opportunity to uh, practice that on audiences. So if it were that you were interviewing me here and I was... Just mumbling, you and me, and not really contact with anyone. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to go to that. And uh, some, we, we, some would not, we wouldn't employ yes. you. Oh. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Roddy, let's go back to where did it all start for you then? Where, how, did, how did music become. You know, were you one of the? Where were you in the classroom? Were you one of the musicians oh, at the front? Were you a scientist, or were you a rugby player at the back? I was definitely, uh, definitely at the front of the music lessons, uh, uh, not through a sort of eagerness, but because music um, was entirely normal and easy for me. Other lessons were a bit tricky, various other lessons, but music was something that I got straight away. I'm the middle of three boys. Both my brothers are intensely musical. They just happen to be able to do other things, uh, careers and other, and other. But but we we were that lovely North London middle class household that would sing madrigals. My father, being a management consultant, but a struggling aesthete inside, we'd we'd sit around the table and and sing uh, uh, three, four, five part madrigals, and play recorders as a normal part of of uh, everyday upbringing, and do other things as well, you know. Um, and my father would listen to Radio 3 a lot. My parents had a wonderful record collection that, that, that I can basically remember LP by LP. Um, uh, alongside my mother's love of jazz and um, soul and things like that. So it wasn't just that we listened to classical music and nothing else. So I love all sorts of music. Um, and if you grow up in that sort of household, um, it doesn't seem odd at all. No. And you went to Oxford? To read music? Yeah, I, yes, I did. Uh, uh, I was a chorister first at Oxford at Christchurch Cathedral School, although I wasn't good enough to make it into the cathedral choir. And then some time later, when my voice had broken and, and I'd been to school, I came out to Magdalen down the other end of the road as a choral scholar there. All of this was a series of happy accidents. I went on the Uppingham Choral Course, which 
opened my eyes to the fact there's this thing called a call scholarship. And in my day, was a fantastic back door to Oxbridge. If you could sing your way through, then with the exam, don't worry about that. We'll, we'll, find, you know, we'll sort that out, don't worry. And that is certainly not the case anymore. But um, yes, I went to Morden College as a, as, a, as a music undergraduate and um, met in the choir there various people who had worked out there's this thing called singing that you can do as a profession. And they went off to do that, and I watched their example and thought, that's interesting. Gosh, I never knew you could do that. People pay you to sing? Oh, wow. Um, and that's basically that. And uh, when you were at Oxford, were you having less singing lessons? Or yes. was it just you were singing, because you could sing? I was having singing lessons by uh, someone who actually lives um, uh, not far from me in Warwickshire. She's in North Oxfordshire. Um, and I didn't know it at the time, but she was instilling in me ideas for the future. At that time, as you can imagine, I, and I do apologize for this because it was your money that I was using. Um, at that time, singing lessons were a way to try and keep the choral scholars sober enough and on the right lines that we didn't do ourselves any harm, vocally speaking. Um, and I will just say that the woman who prepared me for the choral trials in the first place and also instilled in me, without my realizing it, ideas for singing that I use to this day was a chorister here at ENO called Valerie Heath Davis who came to my mother for, my mother was a French teacher, so he came to her for some French coaching. And my mother said, oh, well, my son's a bit of a singer, could you work with him? Mm. So she prepared me for the choral trials. Isn't that a lovely connection? Yes, going, yeah. Going way back, it's, it's, it's lovely to having those things. I mean, my first tr proper trombone teacher was the trombone, t bass trombone teacher in ENO. And it's wonderful to, that things come full circle yeah, like that. Absolutely. And it of often happens in life, yeah. doesn't it? Often happens. So then you w went to the Guildhall, is that right? After the, the, I was a teacher first, oh, because I, I thought see, I was going right. to be a music teacher. Yeah. Everybody assumed so, and I assumed with them that I was going to be a music teacher, and that's fine. I was very happy to follow that ro road. And so I taught at Tiffin Boys School for three years. Which is rather a good music school anyway. Yes, it? it's got yes. A quite a, it's got a wonderful boys' choir, hasn't it? Yes, Still some of them are singing day. at the Royal Opera at the, mo at the minute. Right. And, uh, and my particular post in the school was director of choral studies, so if it sang, it was my jurisdiction. So I was in charge of the treble choir, the close harmony group, the, and, and whatever, and I also taught in classrooms, as I alluded to. I think if I'd, in, in all honesty, if I'd stayed there longer, I would eventually have become an effective teacher. I was watching my head of department, who was a very charismatic man, I was learning from him, and I was gradually beginning, the penny was, was slowly dropping. But at the same time, I was singing at weekends, you know, the Odd Messiah here, creation there, what have you. And uh, my wife, we were married very young, uh, still are married very young, no, we were married very young, and uh, my wife had a perception that I, uh, that I hadn't picked up. And one day out walking on Wimbledon Common, she said to me, Roddy, what is your ambition in life? And I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> and out of the blue, I said to her, I quite like to be a singer. Having watched my friends from the choir go off and do this thing in various of the London choirs, the Monteverdi choir or the Schutz choir as was and all these things. And I, and, and I kind of blurted it out, not having thought about it before. And she said, knowing that that would be the answer, strangely. Weird, that, isn't it? Um, she said, yes, okay, well, if you don't stop your teaching job, the monthly pay packet, if you don't stop that now and try the singing thing, you never will. Um, so I went into school pretty much the next day, as I remember it, and resigned, which was a surprise to us all. And, um, and at the end of that term, I set up my stall 
as a singer. And so it's only after doing the London circuit for a bit, uh, learning with, um, uh, meeting up with a singing teacher called David Pollard, who, sing, who, who teaches singing only a couple of miles from here, um, uh, and also at the Guildhall. I, I was with him for a couple of years, and he said, if you come to the Guildhall, you'll have weekly lessons, you'll be able to move on much faster. Uh, I looked at the Guildhall prospectus, I was a graduate, so there's a postgraduate course there, and there's this thing called the opera course. Two years, you do singing, obviously, but you also do makeup, and you do sword fighting, <laughs> and, and it, just, it just sounded fantastic. And in all the theatrical stuff at school, I had been in the orchestral pit, so I'd never been on stage, really. What did you play? Um, whatever was necessary, in <laughs> cello, um, a little bit of keyboards, and percussion, memorably, and, uh, uh, um, and conducting in Joseph. Well, I was just going to ask you about that, because you, did m you mentioned you were in charge of all these choirs at Tiffin. Does that mean you've actually conducted? <laughs> <laughs> I have waved my arms around. <laughs> there was, uh, you're like this, uh, there was one big performance we did of the Derufle Requiem with the, uh, just because we had a, an alto soloist and a baritone soloist, I asked the alto to do the Brahms alto rhapsody and the baritone to do five mystical songs. We started the whole evening with the, with the foray pavan. And it was kind of on the day of the show with the one afternoon rehearsal with the orchestra there, that I was looking at them going, oh, oh, this is, this is new, oh. And very sweetly after rehearsal, the flautist came up to me for the pavan and said, Dump, Mr. Williams, lovely, lovely. Could it move on just a little? I don't know. I don't know. It's not as easy as people might think, is it? This conducting love. No, no, no. no, no. Yeah. So, I mean, Rod is um, incredibly talented on many spheres as we're, we're, we're gathering, but probably a lot of you didn't know that he's a very successful composer as well. And maybe you could. Did that start th back then, or is that something that's emerged? Oh, no, that's, that's uh, what I described as singing madrigals and playing recorder pieces. The recorder pieces are often by me. Oh. And there's, there's no sound Do on they survive? Do they, uh, can we... I think there are a few. <laughs> uh, dear, dear. The thing is that um, there's no sound on this planet like three descant recorders <laughs> in a small room together. <laughs> I mean, the overtones are just, uh, uh, yeah, teeth jangling, so... But, but the, the, the point about that is that I wrote for what was in front of me. It's, it's not as if I was thinking, I must write a string quartet. I must express myself in music. It wasn't that. There were people there who need something to play, and I'd write it. Similarly with Tiffin's school, um, they needed a Christmas carol. I'd write one, you know, it's, it's at uh, university as well. And for song recitals, it's often that you need an encore, something witty or something daft, or something that can get you from Purcell to Utvish or something like that in one easy step. So, so I'd write that. <laughs> and in the Ferrier singing competition, for example, the final round, if you get that far, requires you to sing something by a living British composer. <laughs> living British composer? Yeah, I'll do it, yes. That'll be me then. You did your own. Yeah. Very yes. good, quite right. And nobody can tell if I go wrong. <laughs> but uh, the thing of, I did a bit of composing in my, I did a postgraduate composition degree, and the thing that I will never forget is the intense amount of time and effort composing takes. I mean, where do you, where do you find the time? When do you do that? Is that on the train from Marylebone up to Warwick? Uh, often, when you actually. <laughs> and and uh, 
This year, because of this commemoration we have, and also the commemoration of the formation of the RAF, for example, um, this year I've accepted rather a lot of commissions, large-scale commissions, uh, because I was so flattered to be asked, frankly, that I just said yes. And then I realized that the, that the, the time was pressing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it tends to be, while I'm in other countries, um, uh, certainly this year, that I'm, I just stay in the hotel room and put my head down and get it done. I mean, isn't that the reason we, the best thing to do when you're away from home? You, I mean, I travel, I travel less now than I used to because of this wonderful job I have, but I used to fly all over the place in Japan three or four times a year, and I've got a barber in every city. I've got a barber in uh, Nagoya. I've got a barber in Amsterdam. One in Glasgow, I've had the same guy for 25 years, but I haven't got one anywhere near where I live because I think that's a waste of my time. <laughs> so uh, on the same kind of, yeah. you know, I use all my traveling time either to sleep or to study. Mm. And I'm sure with this yeah. that's exactly the same with you. Yeah. I mean, we, we rarely have a moment where we shouldn't be doing something else, yeah. do we? Yeah. Um, he's still got a bit of the war equim to learn. And now I know <laughs> why he's not. No, that's not true. That's not true. You had a premiere in Berlin just what, last week, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, yes. With the uh, Rias Chamber yes. Choir. And that seems to have been quite an Yes, uh, they're, they're, bringing, they're bringing the piece to London, not they. The, the piece is being brought to London uh, for the afternoon of the 11th of the 11th. It's a piece, again, in the, uh, in the manner of, that, of the war requiem about reconciliation. So the idea was the German choir and a British choir would, would sing this piece together. Unfortunately, the British choir wasn't available for the Berlin premiere, and they're now in Tokyo, so they're not available for the British premiere. But, you know, that's just the comedy of diaries. At some point in the future, hopefully, the two choirs will, will be able to meet and, and sing this piece. So. And you know, do you get equal pleasure from all, all your activities as song, opera, composing? It, 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 it is an equal pleasure, but it is a different pleasure mm. because um, I realize that I am probably more sensitive about my composition in that when I sing, it is most often other people's music and words that I am performing. Mm. So there's a, there's a uh, plausible deniability <laughs> there. Um, when one creates something and puts it out in front of people, then I am actually quite vulnerable. Yeah, I remember that awful feeling when when I had a few pieces premiered. Oh, goodness me. You're never as naked, are yeah. you, as when you're about to hear some people perform to others music that you've yes. written. I mean, it's it's extraordinarily painful experience. Yes. I, mean, I, don't get, I perform with no qualms at all. Yes. I mean, I love it where I'm at my happiest. I don't get nerves. But as a, as a composer, my goodness, it was terrifying. Yes. It's really And it is also, of course, out of your control because they may not play it very well. well I mean, there's, there's a possibility, <laughs> isn't it? It's a but much, wor much more significant, it might not be any good. Yeah. That's, yes. that's the real yes. truth of it. Yes. And, you know, I've conducted hundreds of world premieres and hundreds of them have only ever had that. <laughs> you know, they yeah. only get one performance and yes. probably for a... a uh, yes. sadly for quite a good reason so yeah, but it yeah, is yeah. lovely that you've got you've got the the other strings to your bow isn't it i mean it makes for a, a more a very interesting life yes yes it does and it's it, you are very right about the, the difficulty of switching off particularly when when i was self-employed and we are our own um product in that for example i cannot apply for paternity leave for example <laughs> um because there's no one who can fill my job 
for me, except every other young baritone who, <laughs> who'd be quite happy, thank you very much. Um, uh, and so it is for maternity leave, tra -la -la. but um, uh, uh, there's always an email or there's always a score that I can memorize. I can't remember the last time I read a novel for pleasure. Um, oh, pity me. Oh, but, poor Roddy. But I, thank I'm God, the job is so guy. much yeah, fun. You so. I read a couple of pages every night and then just, that's it, I'm fast The same asleep. two pages yeah. every night. Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I mean. Right. So I'm not sure, this is probably, I shouldn't be, I have to ask you this question. What, what, what have you done at ENO before this? So I started with a piece, I can't remember the conductor, but it's called From Morning Till Midnight. What do you mean you can't remember? I never, I never looked down at the pit really? for that, so I don't know who conducted that. Yeah. But, uh, uh, so that's, that, was that, was my, that was my debut, I think. And, and pretty close afterwards, either just before or just afterwards, um, A Better Place by Martin Butler, a short okay. opera that fitted mm. after mm. Rape Lucretia, I think. Right. So that's where I started here. Then I seem to remember in no particular order, there was the um, uh, Nicholas Heighton and Magic Flutes, uh, which I did a couple of times. There was La Mode de Loin, Carrie oh, yeah. Sariajo. And uh, then very recently there was the Charpentier, there was the Castro and Pollux. And then we did um, uh, Charpentier's Midi, or Medaya in English, obviously. Medaya. And uh, Michel van der Aar's oh, yeah. Sunken Garden. They were back to back. Um, so, so you've, uh, you've got quite a pedigree with, with ENO. Yeah, that's the ones I can remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. And I mean, just, you're obviously a wonderful recital. How do you. V value the two. What what's your what do you prefer, or is that a silly question? I think you I prefer. I I, I prefer is the wrong word. I enjoy the variety, because um, uh, you get to express yourself in different ways. If I, if I can put it th in a flippant way, um, when you're in a rehearsal with an opera, you have the stage director shouting instructions and you have the conductor shouting. shouting other constructions generally speaking you remember our rehearsals isn't it? <laughs> uh, you have these masters in who you're trying to please all the time and then in a recital you have none of them and it's your, it's your own thing and in a concert performance you have just the conductor now I don't mean it to be flipped like that because actually what it means is I in, uh, flip it on its head I enjoy the freedom of a recital in that it's just me and the pianist doing things our way then I enjoy the input of further colleagues in uh, 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 an orchestral C symphony, for example. There's the might of a full orchestra behind me, and I'm on stage right there at the front with them, with, with the conductor, the input from there. Then I enjoy being a character of an evening, inhabiting someone else, Don Giovanni, or um, I don't know, Scarpia, just name all the baddies, um, uh, through the course of an evening, in costume. And, and being that person, is, which is very different from the recital, very different from yeah. concerts. So let's remember our first operatic encounter. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, who were you in that one? I mean, this is, we, we met 2001 in Amsterdam. Uh, I'd been asked to jump in for, I think it was Rostropovich was supposed yes. to be conducting this opera by a Russian. I, I studied in Russia, so I speak Russian. I lived there for two years, or should I say in the Soviet Union? Uh, conversation earlier, and uh, I was asked to take over this project. And the, I was given the task by Pierre Audi, who, runs, who ran the Amsterdam National Opera, to basically say whether the piece was worth doing, you know. So he flew me out to Russia to meet the composer, who was called uh, Alexander Kneifel, and the score I saw was com completely bewildering. I've never I'd never seen anything quite like it. Most of the pages were blank, apart from, I don't know, a blob or an instruction or a... 
a tr picture of a train with, oh, and uh, uh, I think you were, were you not, was Humpty Dumpty? I was Humpty Dumpty, <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the Red King uh, and, and something else as well. I mean, it was the most bizarre theatrical, it wasn't an opera, it was a theatrical yeah. event. And I don't think I've ever conducted lighting cues or the train or ballet dancers or, yeah, I had, to, I had to conduct all this. And most of the opera was in silence. Do you remember any yeah. aria that you had in that particular? You know, Mr. I just remember <laughs> counting, counting, counting yeah. out loud as I skipped with a halogen skipping rope that changed colors as I skipped <laughs> up one of those Escher staircases with no handrail that just goes to nowhere. I was wearing three costumes on top of each other, including the canary yellow woolen suit. Oh, yes, I remember that now. Enough, <laughs> enough batteries to keep the thing, the halogen thing going, and uh, pouring with sweat, and, and yeah, good times. Though. It was the most <laughs> extraordinary <laughs> evening. It was the most extraordinary evening. But that's when we first met, I think, yes. wasn't it? And, it yes. was, uh, and I've been fortunate enough to do lots of, lots, not as much as I'd like, because he's my favorite. He's one of those singers, when I go like that, he sings exactly where I expect him to. And you can't, no singers around like, you can't <laughs> say that about all singers. There's a, we have a kind of a wonderful connection I, that I, I sense in any way. And, you know, we did a Grontius last year in, in Worcester Cathedral. Uh, yes, no, where was it? Worcester, in Worcester Cathedral in the three choirs. Yes, it was Worcester, yes. And it was, can, I'd love Roddy to do it. And they said, well, he can only come on the day for the final rehearsal. I said, well, of course, we could do it without any rehearsal, because I, it's so natural and so wonderful, the connection we have. And Well, I hope you think yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> He's looking at me. No, I could, no, no, I could, no, I could absolutely yeah. say, that, say the same yeah. about you, don't without so we've had some, yeah. we've had some great times together, and we're, 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 uh, we're going to have some more. So uh, the War Requiem experience is proving, as you say, you're quite intense. I'm trying to keep, in a rehearsal situation, I, you've got to kind of distance yourself from all the emotion, especially as the conductor in there, when you're trying to garner all these forces together. 80 choristers, 40 children, uh, him, and a tenor and a, and a soprano in this incredibly moving music. But I think we're, we're, we're getting to a place that's gonna be really mm. quite special. And you know, I hope you're all, you've all booked your tickets and your return tickets. You know, you'll need to see it at least twice, if not, if not three times. But I mean, I find the piece extraordinarily moving. Mm. I don't know if, if, you, if you feel the same. I always have, and I knew it, coming to this rehearsal period that it, there was a danger that I, would, um, uh, uh, that I wouldn't survive it, in a sense. Mm. Uh, the, the day before, uh, first day of school here for me, the, the Monday of two weeks ago, on the Sunday before that, I live not that far from Coventry, so I just zipped up there in the car to go and have a quick look around. It's been years since I've been there. And standing there, where I, I hit it on Sunday, so the service was just finishing. So I couldn't get into the main cathedral, but I was in the shell of the old one um, on a very beautiful day and standing there uh, thinking my thoughts and knowing what was coming up. And then the bells started ringing. That tower still stands, mm. and you can look straight in and see the bell ringers there. And, and amongst all this silence, suddenly the, the tower burst into life. Um, and I just started crying. It's mm. just, it's, it, you know, that's before we've even started rehearsals. So, anyway, I hope I make it. Yes, I, I, I hope we do, but I hope we make some of you cry because, I mean, that's... We had a moment in rehearsal last week where Roddy and uh, David were singing the... This, it's uh, b the 
uh, Abraham and Isaac yeah. moment where they sing this beautiful duet together. <coughs> and they probably didn't realize this, but the choristers, many of the choristers behind were in tears in the rehearsal room the other day. So I think we're in, in for something really quite mm. special with this piece. I know some people think it's a little bit kitsch, the War Requiem. Have you ever heard the criticism that it's a little bit too theatrical for a concert piece? And well, through, throughout my life, I've bumped into people who have a problem with Britain full stop. Mm. And, and because, when I think about it, Britain was one of the composers who first uh, 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 alerted me to classical music and uh, I heard a piece of his, the, one of the variations on a theme by Frank Bridge and uh, something lit up in the back of my head and, and I thought, I know what that is. I'm going to, yeah, that's my medium. Mm. I, I can't see what people, what problem people have. And so it is, for example, that it's too theatrical or something like that. And I've never had a problem with this. It's, for example, I know that um, Sir Michael Tippett's music is, is extraordinary and cerebral and intense. Now, I've been to many of his operas, and I've never been moved by a single one of them. It's fantastic music, but I've never been moved by a single one. Now, conversely, Britain's operas, uh, he knows... Like Puccini, and not in a, and, and I don't mean that pejoratively, because even that could be a pejorative statement. He knows how to manipulate stage tension, the drama of the moment, until it releases just at the right moment. And you know, you, if you know your Britain operas, you know he often does that with the spoken word rather than with setting something to music. He knows exactly when and where to do that. And he can do that in abstract music, not just stage music. Um, and I have always found in this war requiem when I've performed in the past, I've always found the climax in that last movement so searing that I literally have to hold on to my seat. Mm. And then as we sing the last number, Strange Meeting, and go into the final section, I find myself looking at an audience and thinking, well, just try picking up a weapon now. Because the message is, is, is so powerful. Um, yeah, I often think uh, when you know, our leaders decide to go to war, they should listen to Mars from the planets. Yes, yeah, And yes. think, oh, maybe we shouldn't. Yes, you know, just, just so have another terrifying. think about this one, yeah. yes. And yeah. the war it does have a similar kind mm -hmm. of uh, effect. I mean, it's extraordinarily powerful, and the it ending. Was interesting on that point of view that Nikki Moffat, the, the British Army officer that I mentioned, she, she put up a, the first thing she did, she put up a, a dictionary definition of the word pacifism. And she put it up for us all to see. And she said... I, as a serv serving army officer, have no problem with that, with that idea that, that force should not be allowed um, as a, a, a means of solving a dispute. And she had no problem with that at all. It's only if the, if the other side doesn't agree <laughs> that there's a, there's a problem. Um, anyway. Yeah. Interesting, interesting perspective. Now, is it... Time for questions, by any chance? Yeah, I mean, we're, the idea is that now you can grill either of us uh, or just make any comments you, you, you might, might like to or ask questions. Ah, the roving microphone, excellent, yes. yes. Um, just because it's of the moment, um, how, what kind of response do you have to an audience who claps in the wrong place, in inverted commas? Um, I have that a lot in recitals, mm. uh, uh, um, and what I often do uh, is when I next get the chance to address the audience, 
I would talk to them and say, these next four songs run in a sequence. And I said, it'll help my concentration, help me to remember the words if we can go straight through. I don't have any problem with it in the moment. Um, and in opera, um, wrong place. I'll give you a great example of that. Peter Grimes at Nottingham, Theatre Royal in Nottingham. We were, we, Philip Lloyd's production, and at the climax of the last act, we all rushed to the front of the stage. Hobson had a chainsaw. We all rushed as, of course, to the front of the stage, and we all sang, Peter Grimes! And the silence afterwards, someone on the box went, <laughs> because, and, and that, we all realized on stage that it was shocking, mm. but we all realized that they needed to do something. And they couldn't help themselves. And I realize that is beautiful. I love the idea that people are free to um, express themselves somehow. And I think there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot going on right now. Is all sorts of different bodies just work at this shape, this audience thing. I've been doing a lot, for example, of music and around in Sheffield, where I sing, well, you know, right in the middle, with I, I'm with members of the audience looking at other members of the audience, or just at the weekend we did the Bach Bimana Mass in Southwark Cathedral, and it was almost by candlelight, and there were cushions scattered and big cushions scattered in the front and also underneath the, um, the transept behind the orchestra where people could just chill out. And the audience was invited not only to tweet on social media and take photographs, but also to wander through the cathedral as the performance. And, and so the first thing I did as soon as the Kyrie started, first thing I did was I got up and started wandering around this gorgeous space. Just different shapes. Which is not to say that the, the, that the Wigmore Hall or whatever is invalid suddenly. It's not that. It's just different shapes. I was in uh, Milan. I went to a performance of Nabucco at La Scala. And they wonderful performance of the chorus of the Hebrew slaves. And the audience applauded so much that they repeated it <laughs> during, the, during the show. A whole 10-minute scene. They did it again. And apparently they do it every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably take it a bit far, but I think a spontaneous uh, expression of either positive, I've not really got a problem with negative either. I mean, if people feel strongly, they, sh they should express it. I mean, I did take exception to mobile, I do take exception to mobile phones going off at the quietest moments, which they always tend to do, um, but I think even that's getting mm. more rare now. And if I could, I, could, I would hold masterclasses and train people to cough into their mm. sleeves. That's the only thing, though, yeah. When I, when I, going back to my time in Russia, I remember going to concerts in, in Lenin, where I was in Leningrad, and if someone had a cough, you could guarantee someone nearby would pass them a sweetie, an unwrapped sweetie, because there's nothing worse than yeah. And they just, it was just a kind of unwritten rule that there w you always had a nice cough sweet in, just in case someone got a cough. Anyway, was that another? One here first. Oh, thanks for a lo lovely evening and, and all your insights. I'm just wondering, what is it in, in Britain that really connects with you? I mean, obviously with Baroque or with Puccini or the Italian operas, 
you kind of know where it's going to go. You know where a melody's going to go, but with Britain, it quite often doesn't. That's exactly where it's not going to go. And I think when you were talking earlier about not having the score in the Requiem, that it, it, you know, it's because it's not going where you anticipate it's going to go. Um, what, what is it, the connection in Britain there? Which obviously is one of the things that people find difficult sometimes. Isn't it? It's interesting, isn't it? The first thing for me, I think, is that it's set in my own language, and it's set brilliantly in my own language. So um, I have an affinity for Britain, first and foremost, because I could understand it. When I was a teenager and younger, my parents, one of their LPs was uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, which they would put on, and I was just transported long before I only realized it was an orchestra playing and, and, and who the singers were, and all that stuff with bottom and you know, the rude mechanicals. And it was in English, and I could get the jokes right then and there, whereas when my mum put on Puccini, less so. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, is the idea of, of, of a melody being predictable in some sense, so you can kind of answer it. If it goes up, it'll come down, which you have in the classical music, to a lesser extent in romantic music, romantic operas, uh, maybe, work your way around Wagner, possibly. And then into the you know, 20th century, when all bets are off. So for me, partly because his musical language is so familiar to me, I understand exactly, I, I really understand where he's going, why it is that he has a melody that goes in this way, and the harmony underneath nudges in the wrong way, deliberately. In something like Peter Grimes, for example, um, uh, uh, I can think of no better way to depict the surface smile of the borough community with this rancid thread, seed, I'm mixing metaphors so much I can't follow it myself, um, that goes un un underneath. And I think of all the discords, particularly in the um, sea interludes, uh, in the interludes themselves, uh, when the bells are all offset uh, against the, the the main brass chords, and you're going to get that in the Requiem a great deal as well. Yes, you get that. I mean, even the reconciliation at the end of the War Requiem, this beautiful Let Us Sleep Now, which, I don't know, it's a five-minute span of... Yeah, yeah. Basically, one one harmony, really, yeah. but he he finds these really very troubling dissonances in there, but then that's... That's kind of life, it's you know. It's more. His purpose. It's yeah. yeah it's yes. really, you know, reconciliation. But there's always an underlying potential yeah. for further problems. And that's maybe the one of the things. I mean, one thing I find with Britain is that you have to do what he says. There's very little room for manoeuvre. But then, when you've done that, just as he says, then you can really f begin to mm. express what's what's behind the. The thoughts and the and the music, and that some that's why my wife, for instance, doesn't like Britain. She finds it a little bit contrived somehow. But I, I, conversely, I I find it like Roddy. I find it extremely uh, naturally expressive. So, you I know, I wouldn't be surprised. I think I find myself actually quite similar to him in certain temperaments. I mean, never met him, but but he speaks a language that I understand so much that I can only assume. A similar upbringing in certain certain ways. So, so w I understand entirely what you're saying, but I also realise that I do find it predictable in a way that, for example, Dudley Moore could take the Mickey out of so <laughs> effectively. Um, all those little <laughs> traits that are almost cliches, Britain cliches, he could just skewer. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I certainly feel that. I think there was a question here. 
composing is always a mystery to me. <laughs> can you, can you, in a simple terms, uh, uh, enlighten me as to the thought pro process in composing any piece of music? Yes, I, th I, I think I can. When I was much younger and a teenager again at school, I used to write novels, and uh, <laughs> uh, nothing, stuff that should be burned, I should say. And for me, what I realized looking back, a lot of those novels were films or TV shows that I'd seen, where, which would sit in here somewhere, and I would write them down in my version, and the characters behave the way I want them to, and not the way they did on screen, necessarily. So. Composition for me has tended to be music from the, the massive dustbin of my complete musical experience that I somehow put down on paper and it goes the way I want it to go rather than the way that Shostakovich or Mahler, what have you. Therefore, a lot of my music, most of my music, um, people might come up to me afterwards and say, oh, I like that, but it's just like Copeland. Or, oh, that bit was just like Britain. You see, you, you said, you know, whatever. And in my early days, I used to be very embarrassed by that and very irritated by it. Um, but now I realize it's a compliment. And now I realize also that, that really my musical experience is a, is a huge collage. If I have anything that's personal to say as Roderick Williams, rather than as a, someone wearing, you know, pastiche jackets, as it were, if I have anything personal to say, I'll only work that out near the end of my life, when I survey everything I've written and, and seen if there was any real worth to it. But you know how they say everybody's got a book in them, that old adage, oh, we've all got a novel and it's just some people finish them. <laughs> and so, so it is with compositions. The only difference between my composition and, uh, uh, and Martin's is that I've completed more. That's it, isn't yeah. it? And I think most composers actually are magpies. Uh, no, very few are totally original. So they all, you know, you think of all Baroque composers, there's, all, there's a similarity with, between Bach and Handel. I mean, I'm not saying they copy each other, mm. but there's a, there's a if you work in a certain language at a certain period in musical history, you'll, you'll, you're going to sound like someone else. The thing about today is music history has basically been, you know, there's yeah. not much more to be discovered, so everything is available, mm. isn't it? And, and Roddy's found his, his way of expressing himself. And, and I would also add into that, um, you're quite right about that, everything's been done from chopping vegetables underwater to putting a string quartet into four different helicopters, you know, it's all been done. So for me, as a song writer uh, and a choral writer, the poem is there. So the poem will tell me everything I need to know. It tells me how long the piece is going to be. It tells me the nature of it, as someone would say, is it happy or sad? You know, so I, I, can, I can tell the character of a piece. I can often tell its form from the shape of the poem in front of me. Uh, half my job is done already, just from taking someone else's material. That's why it's different to a pop singer, singer-songwriter who does the whole thing. I'm, I'm, I'm just doing half the job. You wrote for the hundredth anniversary of the RAF, which was at the Barbican. Oh gosh, that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you. It was really, really good. Mm. Really you. enjoyed that. I was only was it such a shame I couldn't be there. Was that a yeah. choral? Yes, it was a very large choral piece um, for combined forces. In fact, the Finchley Music Group sang in it, um, mm. uh, amongst others. 
and uh, the band of the RAF. Yes, um, and, the, and all the airplane noises and the speaking yes. and everything. It, it was a fantastic evening. Oh, mm. thank you. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad yeah. you were able to make it. And yeah. sorry I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I did a concert in the RAF Museum, is it, in Hendon? Was it the, with the BBC Singers. Uh, and there was a Spitfire there, and there was a hurricane there, and there was a tornado there, and there was a, a bomber just behind. It was an extraordinary mm. place to go and do a concert. That was something to do with about one of the anniversaries oh of yes, the Battle yeah, of Britain. Yeah, yes. But it was, yes, extraordinary. Lots uh, of anniversaries around now. Get, I, we all got to sit in the cockpit of the Spitfire. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm almost too big to fit in that. Those mm. pilots must have been really handpicked for their size because it's a very claustrophobic... Can you imagine it? I can't imagine anything worse. But there we are. There must be another nice question. Yes. Uh, we went to the Winterreiser in the Wigmore Hall, and we left on air. We just thought it was great. But we did wonder how you felt at the end of it, because you're, what you said at the beginning about it being the first time and really important, and we felt really great. So how did you feel? <laughs> I also felt quite related. The truth of the matter is I had a very early flight to get to Poland the next day to sing a Matthew Passion. So my mind, the, the euphoria post-concert, it wasn't allowed to last that long. However, I think you know as well as I do that the whole idea of speaking to the audience quite so frankly before it began was an inoculation against the experience. So rather than arrive on stage, look down at lots of people with their arms folded, you know, the, all those people who come up to me afterwards and tend to say things like, I heard Dietrich Fischer discussing this. <laughs> You know, uh, they, do, they do say that, and I realise now they have to say that because they're passing an experience on to me. I never heard him sing live. Um, they don't mean to make a comparison, uh, although inevitably I'm thinking, and? And was so? Um, but they just, they're just they're passing that on. However, um, having spoken to the audience and said my piece about singing that piece on that stage, um, I was able to uh, wash my hands of it and put it to one side and just get on with it. Oh, great. Oh, was, thank was goodness. Was that uh, in English or German? Was that, was that the, the German one? Yes, yeah. a German one. Because yes. you've taken to doing the... All, you've done all this... No, at the, at the moment, the, the Winterreiser, the Winter Journey is the one that's fallen into my lap. I think I will be asked to do all three of them in maybe the Oxford Leader next mm. year. But the winter journey has fallen into my lap, um, a serendipitous moment in time that I happened to be preparing it in German at all, mm. and an English version came, came with me. And it, it, given that singing leader to a, a non-German speaking audience is always a compromise, it just depends where that compromise falls, whether it's everybody reading furiously and turning the pages, or whether it's, there's another one I did at King's Place where the words are projected on a screen mm. behind me, and then I'm seeing everybody looking. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm aware it was also it was a piece that I hadn't had time to prepare properly. I was so close to being able to sing it from memory, but not quite. Mm. So everybody in the room is able to see the words, except me. It seems so ludicrous, it just, it just, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so that's a compromise. Singing it in English is a compromise. Um, uh, uh, but 
in the same way that if I had been speaking to you in Finnish now, you could, have told, you could have got a certain amount of information from my hand movements and my face, but it would have meant nothing to you. So, Is why it worth do we do it? Yes, yes, why do yeah. we do it? Yeah. Any other? Following that comment, how do you enjoy surtitles? Surtitles. Now, I think surtitling as, an, as a skill has moved on from the days when I used to come out uh, for Mozart opera or something, for example. And particularly if I'm singing in German and, and the, or Italian and the subtitles in English, and I'm ready to deliver the gag, and the audience laughs, and I think, I haven't done it yet. What is it there? <laughs> so so the, the, the timing, the people who do this are very musical now and, and adept enough to apply it at the right moment. Um, now, singing on stage at ENO, we've talked about diction at, at the beginning of this. I would love to think that it wouldn't be necessary. I would love to think that. Um, in the same way that when I do recitals, um, uh, people ask me, should we print the words? Particularly when I'm singing in English. And sometimes I think, oh no, don't, don't bother printing them. I'll just make it clear. Other times, I'm about to do a, a Thomas Hardy recital in the uh, end of next week, for example. I was asked this question today, should we print the words in the program? Now, Hardy's poetry on the page is dense, and on the page it has a shape that's very particular to him. And then I think it's a shame, what I said earlier on about singing uh, music in, as, as a, a fixed point in time, singing poetry as a fixed point in time, it just comes out of my mouth and it's gone. And so I think it's often very handy for, for people to be able to refer to something. So I, I sing in the war requiem, let's just think, um, um, uh, voices of old despondency resigned, resigned, bow to the, the... These are words which you all understand, but they are knit together in a way that is not obvious at first time. So as I'm seeing it, if you are reading it at the same time, then hopefully the two will combine to be a pleasant experience. Whether that's true of the Barbara Seville, slightly different area. But I can imagine in this piece particular, with my Hardy next week, that it would be really useful. And, and my final comment on that, actually, uh, I can see he's touched a nerve here. Be because it came up at Hereford Three Choirs Festival once, when um, I, s I st uh, stood on stage to sing some Vaughan Williams songs, and as the pianist started, the, the crowd, all of the, the audience, all suddenly looked down immediately. And I lost their eyes. And then they all go, shh. Yes, they all go, shh. Uh, yes. And they look up only when I go. In fact, I went wrong in the first line because I was so taken aback. <laughs> and, and then people look up like meerkats. <laughs> like this. And it was so off-putting. So uh, it, it got to me on that occasion. In the interval, I was saying to my parents, she said, well, look, tell them. So for the songs of travel in the second half, I went out on stage. I said, ladies and gentlemen, let's try an experiment <laughs> whereby you don't look at your copies and see how you get on. And I had the eyes of 90%, 95% of the audience. I remember one lady in the front row was looking at <laughs> determined, I'm not looking up at him, I'm not looking up. <laughs> but since then, I've come to realize that, that it's the audience. It's your experience. And I, would, uh, I have 
let this go to the extent that I think that you should be allowed in recitals in particular and in operas, you should be allowed to experience it in the, the way that's best for you. And if in the, in the very near future, this means a discrete app on your device that, that tells you, this has been trialed in, it's a Dutch company, uh, um, it been trialed in Bergen just recently through Brahms Requiem I just did. So they have people who just, it, it, the light isn't, bright it's white writing on a black background so that your neighbor can't read it and and it just takes you to the piece translation or listen out for this bit the brass come in here or i'm not quite sure what um, there are new ways in which audience can can engage with the experience uh, and i realize from sitting in the audience myself that that this is so that i want to listen to it my way that's a very long frank answer. sinatra <laughs> How much do you get paid? Oh, no. <laughs> Gentlemen, um, on the subject of touring, I was just wondering, you'd been to, Martin, you'd been to um, Barbers in Leningrad, all around Europe. I was just wondering whether it included Seville. <laughs> <laughs> I've only ever been to Seville once, so it wouldn't justify having a no, it wouldn't just right. It's a lo lovely question. <laughs> Where, where's your barber? Just uh, she's at home. Ah, yeah. the In lovely Miranda. Roddy's blessed with the most wonderful wife, as am I, and uh, they're very different, important different people. Women. Different, different women. women. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> we it, wouldn't be here without them, though, would no, we? No, very, yeah. very definitely. So, and in our early days, when Miranda first started cutting my hair, she used to keep it and use it to stuff cushions with, and. Uh, <laughs> I was at Guildhall with one of the one of the choristers here, Lydia Marchioni, uh, 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 twenty years ago and more. And the first thing she said when she saw me uh, a few days back, she said, "You still got those cushions?" She said, "You must have a whole wardrobe full of them by now." But no. Well, I'm I'm sure you all agree. Roddy's brought a lot of joy and enlightenment to us there tonight, and it's it's great to have him here. I'm so thrilled that he's with us. You're with us for a few different projects coming up in the in the future, and. You know, you get to see lots more of him and hear him, even more importantly. And so, Roddy, thank you so much from, it's a, been a pleasure. from us all. Thank you. <laughs>